0: The New Patriot Manifesto is not just a rehashing of 20 million different books you've probably read before about why liberty matters. The New Patriot Manifesto is exactly the title. It's a new manifesto for the next generation of patriots. How should we look at cybersecurity? The surveillance state? Is the gig economy growing? What about self-defense? Free speech? Things that matter all the time, but they're aimed more towards the next generation of liberty leaders and people that want to take on the challenges of tomorrow. The New Patriot Manifesto comes out November 24th and is written by Eli Bowman. You can go ahead and find it on Facebook to get ready, and you can ch- check out your own copy onto Amazon. That's The New Patriot Manifesto by Eli Bowman. This is Live Free and Grow, a podcast from the Remso Republic with your host, Jason Carrier. and Homesteading Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Carrier. And today, we're going to actually have David the Good, the writer of Grow or Die and Compost Everything as our guest. And he's going to talk about, oddly enough, growing vegetables and composting everything. So, with that, David, are you there? I'm here. Outstanding. Now, I've obviously read your work, um, but why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to our audience.
1: Well, uh, I've been gardening since I was a kid, maybe six or seven, and uh, started started my first garden in the backyard after sprouting a bean in a cup in uh, kindergarten. And I, I was like, "Man, this is crazy! I've I've never seen anything so amazing." You stick a little seed into a cup of dirt, and it like comes up, and it's bizarre and. This is really awesome. So, I started actually taking all the dry beans out of my mom's pantry and sticking them in pots and stuff around the yard. And eventually, my dad helped me uh, dig a garden bed in the backyard. And then I really haven't quit gardening ever since. So, and I'm in my late 30s now. So, I've got basically 30 years of gardening. And I got into actual garden writing after uh, writing, you know, writing articles for some local, local magazines and that sort of thing. And I thought, man, this is, this is really cool. And I had the idea for compost. Everything, and uh, publisher picked it up, much to my surprise. And then I just have not stopped. I've written say uh, five gardening books at this point. So,
0: yeah, wow, we just fun. keep
1: just keep pushing forward. Yeah, I've got two that are that are for Florida. One of them was just a little booklet called uh, "Create Your Own Florida Food Forest," and I followed that up with totally crazy easy Florida gardening, which was basically throw all of the vegetables from all around the world and different plants from you know that I could get a hold of into a big death match with the flora sand and see what happens and so like for years I was testing different crops and I, I eventually was like you know what if you grow crops that are actually suited very well to the climate where you live they do much better than if you're just buying crops out of the seed catalog and going, oh, I think I want to try that pumpkin with the bumps on it. Oh, I think I want to try a sit-to-touch tomato. If you actually look around for things that will really survive in your own climate, they do well. So I, I wrote a book along those lines for Florida. And then I did compost everything uh, for Castalia House. And and then I did uh, grow or die for Castalia House. And then I did push the zone, came out early this year. Uh, the good guide to growing tropical Plants beyond the tropics, so I've got those are those are the three books, the three good guides that I wrote for Castalia House, and I've got two more planned in that series, and then we'll see what comes next. Outstanding.
0: No, uh, it's funny as I was reading Compost Everything, and I'm kind of a Lonely Island fan. I don't know if you're you familiar with Lonely Island. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> I think they stole your tagline. They threw it on the ground. <laughs> yes,
1: I stole theirs. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> i knew i knew somebody was gonna pick that throw it on the ground i threw it on the ground
0: exactly every time you said just throw it on the ground (laughs) so so no, and you you definitely encouraged me i've been uh i started comp you know we live on a horse farm so i have about 72 tons of manure a year Uh, because right yeah i have a lot of manure so yeah i've been composting a lot (laughs) but yeah, just building the hoogle bed with it. And then I started doing what you call the lasagna bed uh, this year for our greenhouse. And um, yeah, it's I only started gardening a couple of years ago. And I tried when I first, you know, we first moved to the suburbs back in the 90s. I was like, oh, now I have a lawn. I got, you know, I was the typical suburban dad out there on a Saturday cutting a lawn. Yep, And I was like, I should try to grow you know, vegetables. And I killed everything. And it took me probably 15 years before I tried again. <laughs>
1: so, yeah. And, I, I'd say that that's not uncommon at all.
0: You know, I think, I think that's, it is true. Most people I talk to about it because, you know, they, they're, they've seen food ink. They're starting to want to take, you know, take charge of their food. But what they're, they're scared of is that, you know, their first gardening experience, everything died. And I said, you know what, that's just going to happen. You gotta, you gotta, you know, it's like a shot down range. Just let it go, replant and learn. Yes.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I mean, you you shouldn't expect, you know, that you're going to uh, pick up some paints and a canvas and sit down and, you know, I think I could just recreate the Last Supper right now. No, it's not going to happen. You're not going to, you know, uh, and and you see all these perfect, you know, perfect gardens and, you know, uh, the the images. Like I got a copy of Mother Earth News, you see all these pictures of perfect rows of cabbages, and everything looks so beautiful, and it's all organic and whatever. It it's really not that simple, you know. Uh, right right off the bat, it's nice to get some luck with stuff, but if you're just attacking a little chunk of lawn and you're you're gonna like I'm gonna feed myself, um, it's, there's a there's a serious learning curve, and I, I've told people a bunch of times I killed more plants. most people have ever tried to grow that's why I'm a good gardener you know I really (laughs) i you know you just keep trying stuff and you keep trying stuff and you keep trying stuff what if I tried this what if I tried this what if I tried this and then after you know after your first year of gardening you look and say what did I fail at and which things didn't completely fail and then you start working from there you know you say well such and such tomatoes I actually got a few of those tomatoes so maybe if I took a little better care of that I could get it or my steaks didn't work very well in the yams I was growing, so I should try this or such and such a bean rotted in the pod, and you know, so I'm not going to try that one again. Or you try the same things a couple of years and and see if you can get it to work. And if it doesn't work two or three years in a row, well, then just stop and find something else to try. You know, and it, there's a lot. There's actually you can sort of hack the system by checking out what people are growing commercially in your area. You know, so so say you're in peanut country, they're growing peanuts everywhere. Well, you might want to look at other legumes, you know. I mean, beans may be well suited to your soil. Peanuts may just be something you want to try and grow. Uh, You know, you look and say, well, I'm not that interested in peanuts. So, well, what else is growing? Well, they grow, there's a great, you know, blueberry you pick that's a little ways for me. Okay, want to try some blueberries, you know. um, If there's a, you know, follow the market. Follow follow, and see what people have figured out actually grows in your area and, you know, do a little market research. And chances are they picked your area because of specific soil conditions and reasons, you know, th- that plant grows really there, really well there for a particular reason. So follow it. Chase it, you know.
0: That's pretty cool. I like the idea of following the market, obviously. <laughs> so. I guess. But, yeah, no, it's, uh, I haven't tried peanuts yet. But uh, so far, you know, the you know tomatoes, the pumpkins, the you know Thai basil. Basil grows like fire in Virginia. I you know? don't. Oh yeah, yeah. I found that really odd. I was like, Why you know, Why is it doing so well? But yeah.
1: <laughs> so yeah, you find that too. You know, there's people say, well, I don't think pumpkins grow well in my area. Well, there are are three different main species of pumpkins that people grow in the United States. Different species that do not interbreed with each other that have their own characteristics. Yeah, they're all pumpkins, but. You know, some pumpkins really do well in the south, and some pumpkins really do well in the north, and some pumpkins can kind of go across both to a certain extent. And there are pumpkins that try to grow down in Florida, and every disease in the world seems to eat it. Uh, and then there are other pumpkins that will cover your entire backyard, and you barely have to touch them. But, and, and people are like, well, it's pumpkins. I just I just can't grow pumpkins. Mm-hmm. You know, or I can't grow peppers. Well, if you try to grow bell peppers, bell peppers are much harder to grow than hot peppers so you know you might move into hot pepper territory if you have a hard time with bell peppers uh you can at least use them for a uh, self-defense if everything hits the fan you know bell peppers <coughs> you have to fill, fill with lead or something first it's a
0: little more an extra step <laughs> fill with lead so you can throw it like a baseball or cannonball <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's funny Is my um uh, my bell peppers aren't doing that great in the hoogle bed but for whatever reason hot peppers love horse crap
1: so- oh yes nice
0: yeah, they've gone crazy. I've uh, been harvesting, you know, especially with the hot. We had like a three week hot weather dispute, sp- and they just started shooting. I was like, I was picking every day.
1: Yeah,
0: and then then I had to figure out how to pickle. <laughs> so, cause, oh yes,
1: that's a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, you know I just, I'm enjoying it. So it's it's one of those things that you know you, you know I consider myself more of an anarchist gardener because I'll you know I'll, I'll build a bed here. I've tried raised beds. I've tried the hoogle bed. I just throw some seed in the ground and see if it takes. Um, I know a lot of people go in, and they plan, they have these, you know, 3D AutoCADs of their backyard. Yes. Yeah. yeah and, that's
1: not me either. Yeah. <laughs> no.
0: I, I'm trying to figure out how to, how I can garden to produce for myself with the least amount of effort. <laughs> so,
1: yes. Yes. Most food, least amount of work.
0: Yeah. Cause I mean, it's, it is some work, and, you know, people, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you're always picking weeds and things like that. And then, um, let's listen to the So Edible podcast and they suggested covering everything with wood chips to keep the weeds down. And that worked really well for about two months, and then I don't know we had a big rainstorm, and it moved it, and then I was like, "Oh shit, I got to go out there and cover <laughs> it yeah, <laughs> so so
1: yeah, I just you know i love I love what the wood chips do for the soil. If you have a garden area and you've piled up wood chips over the next year or two, that soil gets so rich, and all the worms move into it, and you get fungi moving into it, and you know it looks fantastic, but the big problem with the wood chip gardening or straw bale gardening or whatever is you've got to deal with materials you know um you know the the, if you want to have a large garden like to grow all your calories uh it becomes a lot of wood chips you're handling a lot of wood chips and you can't just go down the rows with a sharp hoe and nick out all the weeds rapidly like you can you know, there's a reason that the settlers and pioneers and farmers up till basically 60 years or so years ago almost always had row gardens in bare soil. People think it's like, you know, some sort of throwback to the tractor or something like that. No, it wasn't. They did that for, I mean, generations and generations. And it's because maintenance-wise, you know, you just walk down a row with a hoe and hoe all hoe all that soil in between – and also, the wider spacing allows those plants to take in the rainfall that they need. Instead of doing like a raised bed where everything is really tight together and you have to water it, you're basically tied to the grid. If you have three foot spacing in between your rows of corn, um, they, can, they can go a long time without rain compared to a tight little bed of sweet corn where they're all planted at six inches.
0: That's pretty cool. So. Yeah. So, uh, you, do, you, you do mainly row gardens?
1: I have done all kinds. When I had uh, when I had open space in Florida, I did um, I did a mixture. I had stuff close closer together where I had water, and then I had uh, I had land that I borrowed where I would row garden in three foot wide rows. So like field corn and uh, beans and things like that. You know, plant them two or three feet uh, apart, and then I didn't have to water. You know, so that was. That was kind of awesome, and I would experiment with it more. But since I, um, I moved where I moved in the tropics, I am I'm down in Central America now. Um, we are in the mountains, and everything is just rolling, rocky terrain. So trying to put together any kind of a typical, nice little row garden or something is is hard. I'm kind of making making mounds on contour because we've got, you know, this thick pottery clay. On steep slopes, <laughs> so it's just it's uh you gotta, I've got to totally kill things and relearn stuff all over again, you know. But yeah, if I had if I had flatter ground, um, uh, even gently rolling ground, yeah, and and the space for it, you can actually by using more space, you can end up using less resources overall to raise your gardens. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I, I think a lot of a lot we've kind of been pushed into this raised bed you know let's pack everything together type of a mentality and uh you can you can actually work less having a larger space less resources are required because each plant can reach its roots out and grab water and nutrients from a larger area of the ground so you're kind of allowing them to be more independent instead of you know in this really tight space that you have to take care of
0: That's pretty. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, because you know I've been talking to a lot of people who are doing phenomenal gardening in small spaces, and a lot of them are growing vertically and um, and they're producing a ton of food. But yeah, I like the idea of you know, hey, look, this is the way nature has it. They you know, they get enough rain from the air because hey, I hate water in my garden. It's just a yeah rent. yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that's that's interesting. Hey, I I did not. I thought you were still in Florida. I didn't know you moved to Central America. That's
1: <laughs> yes, I I expatriated. Uh... Year and let's see, a year and a half ago.
0: A lot of that going around.
1: <laughs> oh yes, I, I figured I'd just let the empire collapse from abroad, <laughs> and you know, watch it, <laughs> watch it online,
0: <laughs> watch it online, enjoy the show. Yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, probably not enjoy, but um, but at but at least feel a little more detached from it. Yeah,
0: that's cool. So uh, yeah, it's uh, I, I know this is off topic of gardening and composting, but how are you liking the expat life?
1: I enjoy it. Uh, you know, culturally speaking, it, it takes uh, a bit to get used to. I mean, I am, you know, Anglo-Saxon heritage and going back to, uh, I mean, my, my ancestors came over to the United States, uh, on the Mayflower. So like, got some serious old school, uh, you, got some roots. you know, America. Ooh. Yeah. And, but, but the America that I grew up in isn't even, you know, it's not the America that we have now. And, you know, I've just, I just, I, I think um, demo, demographically and politically and everything else, it's it's heading for a complete and utter crash and probably a collapse into multiple, multiple nations um, probably in a few decades uh, yeah. at the very right. longest.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I know about 20 years ago, I can't remember the politician's name, but he wrote a book called The Balkanizations of America. And, um, yes. and you see that, you know, we, the politicians keep dividing this into smaller and smaller groups, different demographics. Um uh, And it's I, I wrote an article called Individualism versus Victimhood. And they it have, it's kind of a race to the bottom of who can be the most, the, the worst victim so that they generate the most outrageous yes. sympathy. So that, um, <laughs> yeah. instead of, yeah, instead that's
1: not of, the way to win.
0: Yeah. Exactly. It's, you know, you don't, you, you don't win by, by saying, Please feel sorry for me. I ha- I was I was persecuted, in you know 2003 for being uh, a lizard person. I don't know. That's probably hi, what's hi. next. Yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. So it's it's not it's not what we need. And then um, we're so overregulated. It's it is ridiculous. Um, even in Virginia, we had to pass a law where we could have Virginia EPA inspectors come on our property without search warrants. Because they didn't want federal people coming on our property without search warrants, and wow. I, I was like, you gotta, "I thought we had a constitutional right. We're not following these laws. We're not doing what you know. You say we have a social contract that I was born into, but we're not enforcing it." So
1: yeah, yeah, no, and, and, and as long as you have property taxes on your land, you never own your land. You know, you're you're renting from the government forever. There's no there's no property ownership in the United States of, of land unless. There's a place. There may be some magical place in the U.S. where they don't charge property taxes. But if you quit paying your taxes, they take your land,
0: which means you don't own your land. Bingo. No, it's it's funny, is it? I've been trying to get a lot of libertarian groups to start pushing for um, a at least a statewide constitutional amendment, but then a, hopefully a federal one to ban property tax because I do think it is a an assault on the right of property. It, Absolutely. You know, you tax my income before I bought it. You taxed my you know you taxed the sales when I bought it. Why do I have to pay in perpetuity to own my own stuff? It makes no sense.
1: Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And that's, I mean, that's, that's a big reason why we left too, is the feeling of cannot do what we want with our own land. I want to experiment with some alternative building and composting toilet systems and that sort of thing. Any of those things can get you pinged by the government and have your life ruined because you missed some piece of code that you didn't know about. You know, uh, I mean, it's just there's just so many things that you have to deal with. You can't just go out and build your own house anymore; it's impossible. So, you know, you've got to you've got to follow this, and you've got to work with the county, and you got to do fill in the blank, and you got to make sure that your uh, you know your R rating is good on the insulation, and you've dug a certain type of septic. It's like, well, you've spent all this money trying to keep up with all the regulations, and you're not really building what you wanted, anyways. Yeah, you know,
0: well, so it's funny you mentioned that. One of the guys I interviewed, he, um, they bought 100 acres in North Carolina and they built their own house and they wanted to build a completely off-grid house. And the land they had was full of oak. So he has is a lumber mill and he wanted to he wanted to mill his own lumber to build his house. And they, the state came back and said, "Well, if you do that, you got to pay to have every single board inspected." Oh my goodness. Yeah. So he, had, <laughs> he ended up having to build his house out of pine, which is not as strong as oak because he could not afford to have an inspector for every board. It's,
1: that's just that's a, it's so obnoxious.
0: It's it is. And I mean it's I think it's I, mean, I will say I think that's why this liber, liberty movement not not so much the libertarian party because it can turn into a shit show from time to time. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> but the the liberty movement itself is growing because people are like, "No, I should be able to. I should be able to build my own house and do my own thing. And it's funny is in your former state of Florida, um, the liberals there have made it illegal for you to live off grid without paying a fee. So yeah, it's it's yeah. crazy.
1: It is. It's, it's insane. It's totally insane.
0: So we talked. Um, I always like to ask people, how much room do you think you need to feed a family of four, or how much how much do you need to produce to feed you know the average American family? <laughs> Well, let's see, uh,
1: Cheetos, um, Cheetos take up a lot of space.
0: I've never planted a Cheeto plant. (laughs) (laughs) It's it's like hunting tacos. Uh,
1: Yeah, that's it. (laughs) Well, it's, that is, it's one of those questions, uh, where people will say, well, you need, you know, 4,000 square feet to get such and such amount of calories and, you know, or 10,000 square feet to get all of your nutritional requirements plus your calories, that sort of thing. But honestly, um... The, you have to look at your climate first it, and, and your soil because you like in the tropics on volcanic soil. You could probably feed your entire family, uh, you know, a family of four on a quarter acre, you know, easily, um, because you have you have year round growing and you have perfect soil. So you're, you know, it's it's ideal. But say if you live farther north, uh, where you've got about six months of the year you're under frost uh, warnings uh, or or deep freezing for a big chunk of the season. Well, you've got it. You've got to really concentrate on those high yield uh, annual crops. And if you live even farther north, where you maybe only have three months of absolute frost free growing season, it you know you need more land. Uh, to pull it off or if you don't have the rainfall what are you going to do well you got to switch to raising animals and grazing space takes up more space than say planting uh, potatoes you know so your your climate your climate your rainfall um, and your soil really determine how much space you need right from right from the onset so determining you know I've told people by the by the soil when you, when you buy land, you know, look and see, is this good ground? You know, I mean, it's cause uh, man, I, there was a, um, I did some, uh, consulting for an off grid, like prepper community. They were kind of building their entire own neighborhood. And, uh, they said, can you come out and check out this property that we've got? We've got all this space around a beautiful little lake. And So I was like, yes, I'd, I'd love to check it out. So I went and I checked it out and, um, beautiful beautiful water um you know nice rolling hills and stuff but the soil was the worst sh- acid sugar sand that I have almost ever seen like completely worthless for gardening just miserable and I'm like well I hope there is fish in this lake here <laughs> and it's, it's the fish are not going to last real long when you start fishing it like like, you're, I, I was telling you, you're seriously going to have to horribly amend. I mean, like, bring in lots of stuff. Because uh, when you have that real sandy soil, it just eats organic matter. It just burns right through it. When you don't have clay particles in the soil to hold on to and bind with the humus, the stuff just, I mean, the soil is just like feeding the sarlacc pit. Just everything goes into it. It's eaten and digested. It's gone. Um, so, you know, I, I was like, well... I mean, if, if, if the thing is, is that within a few miles of there, there were areas with good soil um, where where life is just going to be easier on you, and and you can tell. I mean, when even um, the palmettos look like they're anemic, and those things are almost impossible to kill. You know, when even the weeds look sick and patchy, you've got a problem. Pretty much any place where you have some nice looking lush growth of weeds. You probably have soil that's decent enough to support some vegetables, depending on the weeds. But uh, when it's when it's like patchy and the scrappiest looking plants are turning yellow, oh boy, you know. So, how much land does it take? Is really, it's going to depend on your climate. Do you have a year-round growing season, or do you have a long growing season? You know, do you have a short growing season? Um, how cold does it get over the winter? Are you going to still be able to overwinter some things like kale or roots in the ground, or is it going to freeze solid and destroy everything? Um, so, I mean, generally, I would shoot for. I mean, you can you can usually do quite a bit on a quarter acre garden, but everything. You know, that's uh that's a that's a tougher question. It also depends on how smart you are. I mean, because you, you can you could probably feed yourself on spirulina and uh, mealworms but you might you might not want to you know
0: <laughs> yeah i just can't get into eating the mealworms and they they keep pushing it but i'm just not there yet
1: <laughs> yeah first they pushed us into tiny raised beds and next thing we're going to be eating bugs yep. this is this is that's international communism for you
0: <laughs> exactly they, no no mealworms are full of protein and yeah i don't give a crap <laughs>
1: yeah well it. it has such nice marbling the way they finished this one with you know, corn fed now
0: <laughs> let's shift that's topics uh, a little bit and let's talk about composting because that's the other big topic i think you, uh, you're well known for how did you get into composting
1: huh. well composting is one of those things that comes along with you know you start gardening and of course you got to start composting you you know it's it's like you gotta you just have to make compost and there's this whole um, compost cult with all their rules and everything. And so, you know, when I was younger, composted in my parents' backyard and I wasn't particularly good at it or anything. But you realize, you know, people are actually very fanatical about their composting. They have a whole like they have a whole rule book about it is you ridiculous. Know, you gotta I turn it. Sen- you gotta water it.
0: You gotta cover it. You gotta leave it in the air. You gotta, yeah yeah. Yep.
1: Yep. (laughs) Yep. And you got to get the perfect carbon nitrogen ratio. You've got to layer it. Oh, maybe you should throw in a little bit of ashes to balance the pH. Um, and, and don't, you know, don't put in meat, don't put in bones, don't put in paper, don't put in bread, don't put in oils. Don't put it's like, um, it's just, I mean, it's ridiculous how much stuff you're not allowed to put in your compost. And I was like, where do all these rules come from? And are they really worthwhile? Because I, I was thinking about it some years ago you know people go out and buy bone meal and blood meal for their garden but they would never compost the remains of a chicken dinner oh because that's wrong but then they're going to go and buy something from a factory that has the same you know nutrition in it and go throw it in their gardens like there's something we're missing here and also we're missing the fact that nature composts everything i mean stuff you know if an animal dies in the woods it gets composted and it get, it will feed whatever trees or plants are nearby. And, you know, the reason that uh, meat eaters um, don't, don't have a lot of the uh, nutritional issues and low testosterone and things like that, that somebody that would be a straight-up complete and utter vegetarian vegan would have to deal with is because, I mean, red meat and a lot of meat is, is just it's loaded um, with minerals and calories, and it's like a steak is like a health food. So... You know, they, they when you bury it and feed it to the garden, there is a lot of potential energy in that meat that should be going into your garden instead of going into a landfill. It doesn't make any sense to me to throw it in a landfill. So what I had to do is to figure out, okay, now I, I know that nature composts these things. So what do I need to do to compost them in a way that's not going to bring in rats or, you know, carrion flies? You know, you don't want to do something horrible. You cannot, you know, pile up a, pile of dead chickens or something like that and expect that you're going to have a good composting time i mean um the vultures start circling you may have done something wrong um so i i say you know there's just all these all these ridiculous rules but we have all this high fertility material and it is missing the compost bin so i just started burying things into my compost pile and seeing how it went and i found that you get a good good hot compost pile going you could throw in roadkill and it will be digested and it makes very nice compost i started experimenting with composting toilet systems it took me a long time to come around to that that was one of those ones i just didn't want to touch um for quite a while because it's human fecal matter <laughs> right like, you know that's what that's what people die from in africa you know exactly it's like, you're, gonna, you're gonna get this and you're gonna catch that and whatever else um but you know as recently as the uh as even the 1940s and 1950s, people would put trenches in their gardens and uh, and bury human waste in between the rows. And and see, that's not the way you get sick. The way you get sick is by you know, say you have a a city system where stuff is just sitting in sludge, um, and and getting into the water and spreading, you know, cholera that sort of thing. Um, that, that's dangerous when you have a mass of people with the potential uh, for however many diseases and problems and it's not thrown into a compost system and it's not given time. If you just took sewage sludge and sprayed on fields like they do in China, you have to cook all of your vegetables well or you're going to get sick and you're going to get like really sick. So um, you know, so, some of those things, that, that's beyond what most people want to deal with uh, I do, I cover it in compost everything because it's it's fascinating. I mean, I was kind of, uh, I realized I was a little bit obsessive when I was on my about 400th page of reading on composting human waste. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm sitting here reading this, you know, what's happened to me? What have I become? Um, but once you open the rabbit hole, you know, and you start going down the tunnel into into composting, you realize everything uh, organic, it pretty much is compostable. And there's so many ways to return things to the ground. You start seeing um, a lot of compostable materials as potential treasure for the garden. You know, a stack of logs by the side of the road. You like when you know about hugel culture. Say, I'm going to build a hugel bed, um, or you know, uh, you're you're into mushroom farming. I'm going to take those and I'm going to grow shiitakes on them, and then when they rot, I'm going to throw them in the compost. There's there's all this potential and you know, uh, all the kitchen scraps, uh, all the mass amounts of coffee grounds that come through the local hangout, um, these these things are just sitting out there waiting to be thrown into your ground. And particularly when you have bad soil or only so-so soil, the idea of being able to actually have enough compost, that's, you know, intoxicating. And, you know, for the people that don't like throwing things out, I can't stand throwing out stuff that I could turn back into the ground you know I I, it's like I don't want if you don't have chickens to recycle say a lasagna you know you can compost a lasagna no problem it'll compost um and and the trick was just figuring out which methods were the best way to do it and I found that just kind of imitating nature and throwing things on the ground was the best for uh non- you know, non-stinking, non-nitrogenous materials. Like you have a big pile of brush. I left some a big pile of brush at the corner of my yard, and then a couple of years later, I went back there and I started turning the ground, and it was some of the richest soil in the yard. And I thought, this this happened because I piled up leaves
0: and sticks in a corner.
1: Yeah. Why I f- would I? Why would I throw these by the road?
0: Yeah, I find that's amazing. When I'm, you know, because you know, we have uh, 29 acres, and we, I, when I pile the trees and leaves up, it just it maintains moisture it becomes like a great worm bed it's it's fantastic for the soil and it just it just happens i had to do nothing with the rest of my soil that's out in the sun and beautiful um, you know it's it's clay here in virginia the horses compact it i got yes i i have a ongoing war with buttercups that i just can't seem to win <laughs> that uh yeah so i mean it's yeah when, when you just throw not you know throw a bunch of bushes down let them let them die and rot and then a couple of years you have a beautiful worm bed
1: Yeah, yeah. People be like, people have said, you know, how could you already, you're going to, you're going to compost sticks. You know, those are too big for your compost fire. You can't compost those. Like, are you kidding? What is the forest made of? I mean, the forest is constantly dropping wood on the ground and it rots and it grows up into a new forest. There's always new trees coming up through an old tree dies, falls over time. It rots and you could take handfuls of that old rotten wood and squeeze water out of it, even when there's a drought outside. It's amazing, you know, and I'm like, people are just, people are like, if I can't do it in 30 days, you know, I, 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 it's just too hard, you know, it takes too long. I'm like, stop it. Just throw it in the corner of the yard and forget about it for the next year. Um, it's going to start turning into soil. And with the, with the, the stuff that, you know, you say, well, rats will get into your compost. If you throw a lasagna in there or you throw in, you know, the remains of your KFC bucket, you know? You know, you're going you're gonna to be bringing in all the vermin, and they're going to be horrible and terrible and all that sort of thing. Yeah, so don't throw it in the bin. Don't make a, don't put it in a pile where you can get it. Dig a hole in the ground, bury it, and then plant over the top of it. That's what uh, Indians used to do, and that's that's one of the methods I recommend in the book. I've got a, a couple of pumpkin vines right now um, down along the pathway. There's a little patch where there was an, an open space, um, amongst the orchards and stuff, and I thought, that would be a good little spot to put some pumpkins. Uh, so I, I string-trimmed the area and knocked it, knocked it down to bare ground, and then I dug a pit. And then in the pit, I buried all of the kitchen scraps and stuff, uh, like a bucket of kitchen scraps, and I buried um, the the sloppy—we cleaned out the fridge, and anything that was too old or, you know, just like, whoops, we missed that in the back, all that stuff went into the hole. And then pile some loose soil over the top of it, a foot or two deep, you know, and plant. Things don't get into that. I mean, yeah, maybe if you have coyotes or something, they might try to dig it up. But
0: yeah, my um, biggest fear is we have a pet pig that runs around the farm, and uh, that little bastard gets in everything.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that's um,
0: pigs are that's, smart.
1: <laughs> yeah. Pigs are smart, and pigs pigs will get into things like that. And I mean, if you try planting sweet potatoes, the pig might go eat your sweet potatoes or your Jerusalem artichokes or whatever else. You've gotta. I used to have wandering, completely free-range chickens, and after they destroyed a few garden beds, I was like, "Heck with this! I, I don't care if it's the nice, sweet, natural way to keep birds." I'm like, no, I'm not doing this anymore because you just you just wrecked my entire garden. In in the the twenty minutes, I wasn't paying attention to you, boogers. You know, so. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah.
0: our chickens. I have been very knock on wood because I I I tried to protect my garden bed last year from the pig and the chickens with a fence and it didn't work. So this year we have a like a front yard. It's fenced off. I moved my garden to the front yard and said the hell with it. Oh yeah. great, yeah, and and it seems to be working. Although the pig, uh, he's been locked up on the fence a few times going for watermelons. Looks like a damn pet bull, like. <laughs> I want them! <laughs> oh my goodness. It's kind of terrifying.
1: <laughs> yes, yes. I can see that. So is this this pig is a pet pig. This pig is not destined to be bacon.
0: No, he's not destined to be bacon. So my daughter uh, was into this TV show called Gravity Falls. I don't know if you ever saw it. It's a cartoon. And no. Yeah, it's, yeah, and it's actually kind of funny. But uh, the little girl there had a pet pig called Waddles, and she convinced my wife that it was a good idea. And, you know, she... Yeah, so now this fracking thing is 150 pounds of angry. He knows when we feed the horses, so he tries to go hit horse scraps. He knows we feed the chickens, so he, tries. he just makes everything hard. And, uh, yes. So, and then, of course, she went off to college, so now I have a pet pig.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you, should, you should just start sending her random pictures of cuts of meat. You know, just just sort of out of
0: the blue. Yeah, I thought I was gonna, you know, you know the old cartoons where they you know they look at people and they have like a pork chops all outlined. That's I, it. I was just gonna draw on him. When she comes <laughs>
1: <up>. <laughs> Superimpose, superimpose the pork chop.
0: yeah. Exactly. That's hilarious. But yeah, he does make things a little bit more difficult. And then you know, I was like, ah, well, how long can do pigs live? They live forever. <laughs> they
1: live yeah, like twenty yeah. years. Pigs gonna outlive you. You know.
0: Yeah. As, so yeah, there's definitely. <laughs> Oh. When he ate my when he ate my watermelons last year, he definitely came really, really close to uh, being watermelon fed pork. <laughs> man,
1: yeah, that's that's difficult. There's a reason I'm a plant person.
0: I, I, I have really little tolerance
1: for things coming into my yard and destroying stuff, you know. It's
0: animals have their place, but man alive. No, I, I agree with you. It's uh it's funny is because you know, we have the like I said, the horses, the chicken, the pig and dogs, yada yada. And my and my daughter says something that's like, we're not getting anything that craps. The next thing we buy is going to be a robot because they don't crap. <laughs> <laughs> I just can't take it anymore. So, yeah, why not? Uh, yeah. So, uh, you mentioned composting toilets, and I'm actually interested in that because I do a lot of sailing. And um, my, my desire is not to live on a farm. My desire is to live on a boat. My wife's desire is to live on the farm. So, obviously, we compromise and we live on a farm. <laughs> oh, so, uh, yes, right. Yeah. But uh, one of the big things that's going around in boating is composting toilets. And uh, they seem to be—they yes. don't break down. They don't have the backlogs. I mean, so it seems to be a a good <laughs> solution for for small living spaces.
1: Yeah, there's this um, there's a friend of mine in Central Florida. Uh, Sandy Graves is his name, which is like the perfect name for a guy that that sells composting toilets. Sandy Graves.
0: <laughs> it is a um, kind of cool name.
1: But uh, he he runs uh, C Seahead LLC, like C the the letter C dash H E A D. And he, he was uh, living on a boat and developed a composting toilet system, which he started manufacturing, started a small business, and he sells them out of central Florida. And I went by and, and saw what he was doing, and it's it's fantastic. I mean, he's got uh, he's got multiple bins in his backyard where he composts all the waste that comes through their house, and he's turned it into these beautiful gardens, and you would never know you know, where it came from, and I'm, I'm sure it's, you know, every code enforcement, whatever nonsense could get on your case for doing that sort of thing. But most people, you know, they have no idea, um, you know, when you're composting. Uh, it does, you know, it just doesn't ping the radar. But, you know, on a boat, uh, you can, you're pretty much at the most free that you are on the entire planet when you're out sailing. So, you know, you're not, you're not going to be, like, getting on your case about a composting toilet system because you're in always in some overlapping jurisdiction, you know, you're a citizen one place, you're visiting another place and then you got your money in another place. And you know, that's, that's very nice. Um, and you know, the, I guess the downside is, is if you're composting, you know, got composting toilet systems on a boat is where are you going to use the compost to grow anything?
0: You know? Yeah. It's, it's, it's funny is cause, um, some friends of mine just went selling in the Caribbean they rented a boat and you have to pay for a pump out but if you have a compost toilet they actually give you money to bring your compost and dump it in cuz it improves their soil
1: oh that's fantastic
0: yeah so i mean it's it's pretty interesting i think you know that, that people are starting to see the value of that and i think and I think you're seeing it across <clears throat> excuse me across communities cuz you got your you know your hippies who are like hey look i just want to take care of myself You have people who are like, well, we need something, you know, we've stripped the soil with all the chemicals, so we need to find a way of putting things back in it. And then then you have the liberty-minded people who who always say, all we really want is to be left the hell alone. (laughs) So, and and if I have to compost my own manure to do that, then by God, I'll do it. So,
1: right, right. And I think the the thing is too, is that we're at a, a point of high prosperity overall and, you know, peak social mood and all that sort of thing so it's it's a fringe thing at the moment but if as cracks form in the entire happy land edifice and things fall apart um you know the reason i wrote grow or die was so people could pick that book up and be ready for that sort of thing it's like you may hate the idea of composting human waste or having to deal with a dead chicken or you know, slaughtering an animal, all these things are, they're like upsetting when you've never had to deal with it before, but when it comes to, um, you know, are you going to have enough fertilizer to feed yourself, then you start looking around, you know, when you look at it from a, from a self-reliance perspective, and, you know, what I was doing in my gardening systems was just like, what if I didn't have any fertilizer, what if I didn't have any water, what if I didn't have any electricity? What if I couldn't buy seeds? And then how do I answer those questions? You know, what do you do in that situation? You have to start backpedaling to you know, the way things were 100, 200, 300 years ago. You know, how how did how did people manage to stay alive? You know, what did they do? Well, they didn't waste things like that. You know, they didn't they didn't waste potential soil fertility by flushing it into a complicated system that takes uh, a lot of Pure, clean drinking water, and uses it to dispose of a small amount of "quote unquote" waste, which is then later filtered out at an expensive and complicated centralized uh, filtration system, and pumped back to all the houses. You know, they they had outhouses, trench trench latrines. They composted. You know, um, they didn't they didn't have this centralized system where everybody takes care of you. You know, and you know they weren't like little babies. Uh, they had to, they had to actually deal with their own stuff, you know? Um, and so I think, I think as things get worse and things get more difficult, people will immediately be going, uh, Oh, wow. How do I feed things? How do I do this? How do I do this? And you're going to have to learn skills really quickly. So I think there's a lot of value in, and reading up on these things and learning, learning what to do before you actually have to do it, you know? Um, and, and practicing you know practicing we, we put a uh, composting toilet system in our house in tennessee which was just sawdust sawdust in buckets basically and I, I took an old refrigerator and gutted it and put it in the backyard for a compost bin and dug a little trench around the bottom of it in case any effluent leaked into the ground it would soak in right underneath where the trees were and the roots would eat it so it wouldn't be uh, a problem and and we composted all of the waste coming through the house for an entire year just to see, could you know wh- what could we what could we do and what do we need to do? And I think it's really important too to to do that sort of thing when you're an author um, because people are coming to me and saying, you know, how do you do this? How do you do this? If I haven't actually done it and I'm writing about it because I'm one of those persons that copied you know 15 articles online about the 10 best ways to uh, compost fill in the blank, um, you know if you're not actually doing it, you shouldn't really be writing about it. Uh, unless it's from a a theoretical standpoint and you just want to kind of play, play with ideas. Okay. That's fine. But, but don't say, you know, you can't say, I know for sure that this works because I composted all the waste coming through the house for a year. That's it's helpful. Then, you know, and I didn't realize I was doing book research necessarily when I did that. Um, it was like 10 years of taking things away and trying to figure out how to compost stuff that, um, you know, that people said you couldn't compost or you shouldn't compost or it was bad to compost. You know, I always I always loved throwing out the rules. There's a reason, you know, I became a libertarian when I was 18. You just get tired of uh, everybody saying you can't do this, you can't do that. Well, why not? why not? Why not? Why not? Why not? So you keep asking the why not and doing those things. And it ended up becoming a, a, a good, you know, a good book and, and a book that is sold well. So I did the same thing with survival gardening and fought to try and figure out you know, how can I grow without irrigation? How, you know, what happens? What happens if we can't get fertilizer? Um, you know, could I could I feed? Could you make enough compost to feed a ten thousand square foot garden? You know, no, probably not. <laughs> you know, if you don't have horses, <laughs> um, you know, it's it's serious. You got to think about these things. How do you how do you make it work?
0: No, it's, it's 100% agree. It's funny you mentioned the refrigerator. When I was reading your book, I, I told the wife, I said, Hey honey, we got that old dead refrigerator in the garage. I'm going to turn it into a giant compost man for the front yard. At which point in time she said, no, no, no. <laughs> so your wife is very understanding. She must be on board with all these experiments. That's pretty cool.
1: Oh yeah. I basically, I basically just do whatever I want and then, and then say, Hey, look at, I did, you know, and, uh, Beg for forgiveness. And, no, don't, don't even do that. It's you don't want to show weakness, they'll go for the throat. So,
0: <laughs> That's pretty funny. Cool, man. Hey, this has been a great interview. I really appreciate it. It's funny is when um, we were emailing back before this, you are like, well, I don't consider myself a Rothbardian. I'm more of an anarchist than a, than a straight anarchist. I was like, this guy has right. done his libertarian homework. I was blown away. <laughs>
1: yeah I, I was joining rothbard on the on the idea of um i'm not an open open borders or one of those things that that put me off of mainstream libertarianism i just i think i think that that fences are very important and that you know a nation a nation has the right to protect and defend its its borders it, just because it's gone you know cancerous in a lot of of situations um I think that if you if you have a complete and unfettered free movement of people, that anything you build is going to end up busted. And so like I can't – you can't – you know, offense is a great thing, and I think offense is a libertarian ideal on a small scale. So I moved more towards that. But I saw Rothbard was moving towards that. Um, as well as he as he got older so I'm like I may be a libertarian heretic but I'm, I'm on board with quite a bit of it
0: no it's so, funny as a lot of libertarians are, are, are not on board with the whole open borders or the pro-choice on everything it's like can we have you know all these freedoms without like just opening the gates and letting everybody in because mass migration is a form of invasion and has been throughout history
1: absolutely is and and if you want if you want a caliphate you can't you know, you, you, open, you open the borders and you let, let everybody in. Go ahead. But you will, you will lose libertarian ideals. You know, the original, the original Anglo-Saxon Protestants that built America, they had learned to restrict the monarchy. They learned to respect the rights of the individual. And they, they created a freer society than the world had ever seen and it only was maintained because of those principles and because of the, the people that that held to those principles if you if you drop a bunch of somalis in you know the middle of the united states so you put them in virginia they don't automatically you know start start waving the flag or talking about the magna carta or anything like that i mean most most of the anglo saxons have lost their their own heritage already, but they still have you still have more freedom um, in some portions of the United States than you do in, say, um, you know, Iran or someplace else where you where basically if you speak the wrong thing you can be executed. You'll lose your job in the United States, but but the executions have not arrived yet. And so, like mass mass movements of people, they bring their own they bring their own heritage. And ideas and extended family with them, and you just—you're not going to be able to stand up against a mass—a mass, a mass yeah. movement like that. You'll be subsumed yeah. beneath it, and eventually, they're going to be forcing you to play with their rules, or you're out.
0: And you kind of see that now. I mean, you know, you mentioned the erosion of—you know—libertarian beliefs. Like you know, right now, free speech is definitely under attack in America, and the Second Amendment's been under attack for a long time because we're not teaching our kids why we have these rights or the abuses that occurred before them. And it's, it's funny is uh, I work with a great guy in my office, but he, he likes taxes. He thinks that's how you help the poor. And he likes all this. And I was like, Damien, don't you understand? I probably shouldn't add him on the podcast. But that's all right. <laughs> don't yeah. you understand that one, you're putting a gun to someone's head and taking it from them. And while you're okay with doing this, two thirds of that money's wasted and they're taking away these rights and these missed opportunity costs. And, uh, and it's just, People are so indoctrinated with the system that they don't understand yeah. what's missing. And um, I interviewed a really nice lady um, from the Urban Chicken podcast. And she said, Yeah, they're actually changing Aesop's fables. I was like, well, And I said, What are you talking about? And she said, You know, the fable, uh, the, the ant and the grasshopper story? They yeah. now, where the grasshopper died in the original story, now the ant says, It's okay. You shouldn't do that. Come in. We'll feed you this time.
1: Yes, I saw that. I saw an updated birds so was like and my son's like, No, he dies. I'm like, yes, he dies He gets what he deserves. Exactly. <laughs> that's a, and, and that's and that's what you're trying to protect people from getting getting what they deserve. They, you try to protect everybody from the consequences of their actions, so everybody's put in a cage. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yeah, and if everything's illegal, then you—it's. It's, sorry, man. <laughs> I'm going about to go down a rabbit hole. But yeah, they just—yeah—they're—they're they're just, totally yeah, they're, they're taking away all these rights, and it's oh, it's for your own good. You know what? I had a mother and a father. I don't need the state to be my mother and my father. I—I I learned yeah, right from wrong, yeah. and if I make a mistake, I'll live with the consequences.
1: I think probably the the biggest the biggest failure um, freedom minded people have made is to put their children into the state school system. If it wasn't for the state school system, um, you would have a ton more freedom. But it's like you can't you can't beat, in, in the hour you maybe talk to your kids during a day, you can't beat the eight or so hours they were in school and being basically told to fit into that mold. It's very hard. Um, by the time they get through college, a lot of them have been radicalized into collectivism and you blossom.
0: Oh no! Yep. Couldn't agree more. I have uh, two daughters, both in college, and my biggest regret is not homeschooling them more. So my
1: yeah, know,
0: my youngest, oddly enough, she goes, "Oh, Dad, I'm a, I'm a libertarian, but uh, she voted for Hillary." And oh, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. That's okay. I stop. I stop paying for insulin, so that problem solved itself. <laughs> no. no, and then um, my my oldest, you know, she she falls more on the conservative side, but it, yeah, you know, you can't you can't unindoctrinate them. They get it so much. It's constantly beat into their head. Uh, Roger Paxton has a podcast called the Lava Foe Podcast. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's yeah. fantastic. But he calls them state indoctrination centers. And the more we can get people out of them, the better off we are. And now there's financial evidence to show that as well. So homeschool, yes. in the homeschool states, you know, those states are saving billions of dollars a year on education. And then the kids are smarter. They get into college better. They, you know, Everybody's worried about socialization, but the homeschool kids I've met with, ex- you know, there's been the outliers, right, where the kid the parents didn't right. do anything with them. But for the most part, those kids are the most socialized kids I've ever met. They oh, look you in I the mean, eye, they what, shake your hand. Yeah, what kind of what kind of
1: socialization is putting people through metal detectors, packing them all into their same age group, putting in you know children that are basically feral, along with kids that you know come from intact families, and basically having everybody fight, and, 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 you know, be underneath, you know, ring the bell, move to the next system, that is the most bizarre system of socialization, you might as well put him in a prison and say, well, you know, it'd be better if he was in prison, because he could be socialized, yep. like, no, you're, you're putting them in a, you know, in a camp, uh, and, 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 you know, every person for themselves, I was homeschooled, um, all the way through, after, after kindergarten, all the way through high school, and, um, and, and I benefited from that so much, whereas my wife was homeschooled for one year when she was a kid, and she said it was a great, great year, and then she was in the public school system all the rest of the time. And she had, she absolutely has a hatred and a disgust for the system um, because of, you know, I mean, if you're the smart kid in the class and you say, you know, the teacher asks a question, well, what, what is the answer to such and such, and you get it correct, um, what do the other kids do when she says, Good job, Jim. They attack you. <laughs> they attack you. Yep. They absolutely attack you, and they tear you down. And they go, teachers' pet, teachers' pet, teachers' pet. You know, they'll steal your notes. They'll beat you down. So basically, you have to learn to shut up and and try to try to hold your ideas inside and not be yourself. I mean, it's the absolute antithesis of um, of healthy socialization. You know?
0: No, couldn't agree um, more. It's you know. Uh- Rick Sanchez and Rick and Morty always go. You know, school's not a place for smart people, and it's not. You know, you're told to sit down, shut up, and not move for eight hours. It's yeah, uh, it's it's insane. Yeah, it's how you raise factory cattle. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's basically right. It's basically right, and they and they look like factory cattle too. I mean, yeah. the, the food's terrible.
0: Yeah, no, no, it's 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 ridiculous, man. And you know, and I, I like how you say, you know, it is it is kind of a prison. And and, and matter of fact, you can get locked up if you don't go. So. Yes.
1: Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to win either way. Yep.
0: Cool. man. I uh, just want to wrap this up. Uh, can you let our listeners know where they can find you?
1: Yeah, you can find me. I have a daily gardening website at the survival gardener.com and you can find David the good on Amazon. Just look up David the good. And uh, I also have a very popular YouTube channel. I've got almost, almost 25,000 subscribers on there too. I am also David the good on YouTube. So between com. you can find my books on Amazon, and you can hunt me down on YouTube if you look up David the Good.
0: Outstanding, man. We'll, we'll definitely do that. I did not know you had a YouTube channel.
1: Oh, yeah. You'll find it quite entertaining.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I like to be entertained. And you're hanging out with John McAfee somewhere in Central America. so.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Experimenting with love drugs or whatever he was doing down here. Yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, man. I still wanted him to win. You
0: know. Me Come too.
1: on, McAfee, oh please. <laughs> you know, like, this is the best of all possible worlds.
0: Yeah, and you know, and with his money and the fact that I he's very intelligent. <laughs> like you know, yes. Despite all his shortcomings personally, the man is brilliant. And I so <laughs> wanted to see him just because he I think he would have had enough money to get on the debate stage and just to see him just go, What the hell are we thinking with you two? <laughs> Oh, it, would be, it, would, it would have been a lot of fun. Yes, it would definitely have been entertaining. Hey, man, I really appreciate your time and the, um, interview. And you know, I'd love to have you back on sometime.
1: Oh, I'd be happy to come back.
0: All right, thanks, David. Appreciate it. Thank you, Jason. All right. Bye. One odd thing I find in Virginia is the fact that you have to pay sales taxes on hay that you feed horses, but not for cows. So the easiest thing to do is just tell your hay supplier that you're feeding cows. So I come home one day, and the revenue is there, and he's asking, Hey, how come you're not paying sales tax? You know, I see you have horses on your farm and not cows. I said, No, they're cows. He said, No, sir, they're horses. I said, Well, hell. That explains why the milk is so soft. Well, there you have it, folks. That's our show. I really hope you enjoyed it. Please do us a favor by leaving us a five-star rating on iTunes and signing up for our Patreon account. It really helps us grow the show and then bring new technology and more content to you. Until next time, I'm Jason Carrier. Live free and grow. Stay up to date with the latest news and updates by visiting remzorepublic.com.